0: Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I
1: wanted to let you know that each and every week, I'm part of a great program called The Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mindenhall and Pete C. Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then.
2: It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present. In select states, gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG.
3: This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower. What's next? Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.
2: Baby, welcome in. It is a Friday edition of New York, New York. JJ Johnson, James, Steve from Ocean City, Maryland, on a bachelor party weekend, on a golf weekend. Basically, that's what the entire weekend is going to be. Terrible golf round for me. Windy, tough course. Hit the ball great, had nothing to show for it. I thought that was going to be the low light of the day, but what really set me off today from a New York Yankees perspective. And that's where I'm going to begin. I thought I was going to be starting. I had a whole lot of NBA thoughts. I had Paul George thoughts. I had this plan regarding the draft that I was all fired up to do. But this is what really set me off, and this is what really ticked me off. Hal Steinbrenner is tone deaf. Hal Steinbrenner is clueless. Hal Steinbrenner doesn't get it. He makes the comments that he did 24 hours ago to Michael Kay about, oh, I don't know why the fans, I don't know why people like John Jastrzemski, I don't know why people like Charlie and Elmhurst or Bradley or Anthony and Siosen or any of you diehard Yankee fans are as upset as you are. It's the middle of June. What's the big deal? What is there to complain about? You get those comments followed up by what you saw on Thursday, and it drives you up a wall. It drives you insane. This is what you're dealing with from a Yankee perspective. They are clueless in how the fan feels. They are totally out to lunch when it comes to their end result over the last 13 years. And look, this is not about their series against the Seattle Mariners. Let me make that perfectly clear. The Yankees won two out of three games. I'm not getting nuts that Domingo Herman now for the second straight start got shellacked. But it's like, you make these comments and in the following day, you see what you saw on the field at Yankee Stadium. And you wonder why people like me and many other Yankee fans, Hal, are pissed off. Yankee fans have every right to be pissed off that did double-digit games out of first place, and that the American League East is basically over by the end of June. Well, what, 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 the Yankees, what, 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 are you supposed to be okay with that? That's supposed to be acceptable, and here's why it's not acceptable. You haven't won, and you haven't won in a long time. This is what Hal Steinbrenner, this is what the Yankees need to understand. You have not won in 13 years. You have not gone to a World Series in 13 years. So uh, let's add all of this up. You're going to tell me and you're going to tell the Yankee fan, oh, it's no big deal. We're going to be fine. Trust us. Believe in us. We know what we're doing. Do you? This is the same organization that just traded for Josh Donaldson a year and a half ago. The same Josh Donaldson who's hitting 140 and is making two errors in the same inning in the same play at third base. Why is he still on the team? You want to explain that one to me? But it's okay. House says we shouldn't be mad. How says everything's A-okay. The Yankees don't get it. And comments like that set me down this dark and turbulent path where I get angry, I start yelling, I start screaming, I'm frustrated, I'm ticked off? How can you not be? And I get it. The Yankees are without Aaron Judge and the Yankees are without Carlos Rodon, but no excuses. With the payroll they have? To be in the position that they're in in the division and be in the position that they're in over the last 13 years and you think the fan base is going to give you the benefit of the doubt? Like, you've earned it? Hell, you're not the Dodgers. Even though the Dodgers have only won one World Series, you're not the Dodgers. Yankees haven't been to a World Series in 13 years. So don't expect fan base and don't expect people like me to say, we trust you. We believe in you. We don't. Not in the least. And that was an ugly sight. How many times am I going to see IKF pitching for the Yankees? How many more at-bats do I have to see from Donaldson? Trust me, the last thing I wanted to do tonight is start this show roasting the Yankees to the high heavens. I was in the mood for it. We've been there. We've done that. but like. It, it it just adds up and it kind of boils over steinbrenner comments yesterday down 10 to nothing before you blink an eye in the third inning and this is what you get out of me starting off the friday show anger hostility and frustration i'm sorry but it's okay yankee fans you should you should you should trust Hal steinbrenner you shouldn't be so upset you, you shouldn't be so angry shame, shame. Shame on you for that. Because the Yankees have delivered so much for you over the last 13 years. The Yankees. Let's not drop the standard like you're some mid-market team that I'm supposed to be throwing parades that the Yankees win 90 games. whoop they do, No World Series in 13 years. And moving backwards and not moving closer to that goal. But it's okay, according to Hal Steinbrenner. Now, switching gears. Driving down today getting ready for my round of golf, and my phone is blowing up from a Knicks perspective. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? With all the trades that are going on, with all the activity leading up to the draft, Porzingis ends up in Boston. Marcus Smart ends up in Memphis. Chris Paul, Jordan Poole, they make the big trade. So I'm like, okay, maybe there's something that the Knicks are involved with. And when Paul George went on Julius Randle's podcast, what was it? A day or two ago, a Julius Randle went on Paul George podcast. I can't can't keep track. Every player now has a podcast. I mean, uh, seriously, good for them. It's the empowerment age that we live in. Good for these guys to can make some extra loot. Not that they need it. But, yeah, fantastic. I I can't keep track of whose podcast is who. But be that as it may, the Ian Begley tweet comes out. And Ian Begley, obviously, is one of the esteemed basketball journalists. Ian Begley, obviously, knows a thing or two about what goes on with the New York Knicks. So, when he tweets out today, there's interest, mutual interest between Paul George and the New York Knicks, it opens your eyes. And on the surface, if we're just talking about talent, Paul George is still a very talented player. He's still a guy that's going to go and get you north of 20 points per game. He is a wing, he is a two way player. There was a time when he was with the Indiana Pacers where Paul George, without question, was one of the best players in the NBA. You want to tell me he wasn't in that top five conversation? Sure, but he was a guy that you looked at and said, wow, you can legitimately build your team around him. That was then. This is now. Paul George has injury concerns. Not only does Paul George have major injury concerns and durability questions, This is a guy who's making monster money and will make maybe even more than that when he opts out of his deal and ends up getting an extra three or four years on top of that. So, as far as fit goes, does Paul George fit on the New York Knicks roster? Yes. Is Paul George, for example, a better player right now than R.J. Barrett? On the surface, yes. Of course he is. Does Paul George coming to the Knicks make them a championship team? Not in my estimation. Would I feel great about giving Paul George $40 million a year for the next three or four years? Not particularly. So, there's that. There's also the element in play of, okay, how are you matching up the money? You make it a trade, okay, Barrett has to go, right? Like, there's one or three guys making big money for the Knicks. Jalen Brunson is one, not moving him. Julius Randle, doubt there's a fit there. Julius Randle, buddies with Paul George. Didn't want to play together, you would think. That leaves you with R.J. Barrett. So, okay, who makes money on the Knicks? R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier, who you beg and you beg someone to get him off your hands with the crazy contract he has. Doesn't look as crazy now with the way the cap keeps going up, but still pretty crazy for somebody that didn't play in the second half of the year for the Knicks. And then, who, oh, popping quickly. Like, you're trying to figure out how the math works. How it works as far as the salary cap is concerned. And the more and more I start trying to do these complicated permutations that are above my Syracuse education, I don't know how the Knicks go and make a move for George and put themselves in a position where Okay, they can do other things down the road and they can be an ascending team that can go and win a championship. Like, I'm sorry. And I like Paul George. Still as a player. I do. Don't like him as much, but I still like him. Is a team with Jalen Brunson, Paul George, and Julius Randle winning a championship? Heart of hearts. The answer to that question is no. So I'm all for the Knicks going and making a big swing. I've talked about this for a while. For an injury-prone player that's had all sorts of issues at the end of his tenure with in Indiana, now you've seen it with the Los Angeles Clippers, like and at his age, it's just, it, it reeks of being problematic. That's the way I see it. So I would not go down that road, and I would not go in that direction if I'm Leon Rose and the New York Knicks. and. I think with the complications in the salary cap, gut feel, it probably doesn't happen, but Ian Begley's not getting this from nowhere. He doesn't pull his stuff out of thin air. There are certain guys, when they tweet something it matters, he's one of those guys. So we'll be monitoring. And the other thing I'm going to be watching from a Knicks standpoint, and they didn't have a draft pick tonight. I'm going to have a little fun with that coming up in a little bit. Didn't have a draft pick because of the hard trade, which is a trade you make, no issues, no problems. Helped you win a first round series, but the future Obi Toppin's going to be interesting. And Obi's a fan favorite. Nick fans have been dying for him to get more of an opportunity to play, but his jump shot's not there. Clearly, looks exposed in that regard. Come playoff time, where teams are basically saying, "All right, Obi, you want to shoot threes? Be my guest," and he's blocked by Julius Randle. Like, that's uh, more than anything for Obi Toppin, his biggest problem with the Knicks. Julius Randle's going to get a bulk of those minutes, a majority of those minutes, being the foreman. They don't like playing Randle and Toppin together. You've seen that. It's a pattern of Tom Thibodeau. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like the defense that you get and the lack of a rim protector when you got Randle and Toppin out there together. I can understand that. So it kind of leads me to believe that whatever the Knicks try to do this summer, and I do think they are going to try and be creative in how they're going to try and improve the team, I kind of get the sense that Obi Toppin's not going to be here. I don't think I'm going out on much of a limb. I don't think I'm really sticking my neck out there with that one, but I don't think Toppin's going to be here. And you wonder if he's going to go flourish somewhere else when he's given more of an opportunity to play. There are attributes you like. The athleticism, off the charts. Some of the dunks are insane. But Julius Randle's not going anywhere. What's his roadmap for more playing time? That's the question. And I don't think the Knicks have an answer to it. So we'll be uh, very much on alert the next couple of days because the NBA and their off season always at times can be the gift that keeps on giving. So we'll be keeping tabs on Dante DiVincenzo. Try saying that 10 times fast. Uh, whatever rumor might be linked to the New York Knickerbockers, we'll be on it. Not a ton of cap space. My gut feels it's going to be kind of a quiet off season for them. I don't think it's going to be uh, a stunning off season. I don't think you're going to have the monster sort of move that maybe some of you are looking for. I think it's like a shooting fringe type of piece that they look to add to the roster. I think that's kind of the direction the Knicks are going to go here over the next few days. And I do very much look forward to rooting against Christos Porzingis when he's a Celtic. I do think it's a perfect fit for him, though. They needed a rim protector. They needed a big who could go and score. He's an upgrade over what they're going to get with Rob Williams. Williams. Like, it's going to bother me seeing Porzingis in a Celtic uniform, not going to lie, but I'll be rooting like crazy against him. Now, we're going to have Jerry Blevins on the show in a minute. I know I was ranting and raving about the Yankees. Listen, the season would have to end today. The Yankees, I believe, would find themselves into the postseason. I mean, you look at the wild card in the American League, they're right there. They're behind Baltimore. They're clearly behind Tampa. But, you know, with that Astro Angel uh, Blue Jay group, Red Sox right there, they're. The the season ends today. The Yankees are the final wild card in the American League. The Mets, in comparison, with the highest payroll in baseball, are 34 and 40. And losing two out of three to the Eastern Astros, look, the Astros, even though they haven't been great this year and they don't have your Don Alvarez, they're still the reigning world champs. But all you need to know about the Mets and everything that's gone wrong for them this year. Scherzer finally gives you a big outing the other day. Eight shutout or eight innings of one-run baseball. He goes deep. He's missing bats. You're like, okay. Now can Verlander in Houston against his former team go and back it up? And Verlander can't do it. Gets out duelled by Framber Valdez, Great pitcher, but kind of speaks to the Met problem. They hit, they don't pitch. They pitch, they don't hit. That's the sound of a bad baseball team. Fundamentally flawed, making mistakes on the base paths. Alonzo running out of the bases, can't handle a safety squeeze. They look like a mess. And the scary proposition for the Mets is, look at the amount of teams they got to jump in the wild card as they get ready for the Phillies this weekend. Well, you got to jump two immediately in the division. Miami, who's 10 over 500. The Phillies, who are two over 500. You got to jump the Giants. You got to jump the Dodgers. You got to jump Milwaukee, San Diego, the Cubs. I mean, the Mets are six games under five hundred with that payroll. That's absurd. That's embarrassing. That should not be. So how did we get to this point? As the Mets get ready for the Phillies, we are now 77 games into this baseball season. And the Mets is six under 500. There are many reasons why. Why more than the other? Well, I wanted some help on this. So, Jerry Blevins, who I spend a lot of time with, works with me over at s He's going to join me. And then we'll rip some calls a little bit. And when we do that, not only am I going to give you my top five Nick draft busts, which is easy. I think you know them off the top of your head, the tip of your tongue. You can't escape them if you're hanging at a bar or barbershop where you're just hanging around town. Some of these names will forever live in infamy. Over the last 25 years, since 2000, 23 years I should say. Trying to find the top five New York Knicks draft picks? Not as easy as you think. There are a couple that stand out, but man, I had to go into the archives a little bit. So I'll have some fun with that. But first, Jerry Blevins on the sad state of affairs. I mean, listen, I'm all been out of shape about the Yankees and he going to pisses me off. At least during the playoffs the season ended today. The Mets on the other (sighs) doozy, Across the board. Jerry Blevins up next. Baseball season is in full swing and there's no better place to get on the action than FanDuel. America's number one sports book because right now new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash NYNY to join today. So, the Arizona Diamondbacks, folks, they were a team I was high on going into the beginning of the year. Game out isn't over. I still think they're undervalued to win the National League West. Corbin Carroll, Zach Gallin, they got some star power. Untapped, under the radar, star power. They can absolutely win that division, and you're getting a really good number. So, it's not too late. Arizona Diamondbacks, hop on board to win the National League West. So, don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to NYNY to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks, used with permission. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler or visit the ringer.com slash ROG. First, online, real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued. It's not withdrawable. Bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fandle.com slash sportsbook. So we're sitting here at the end of June, and I would have given you pretty good odds on the New York Mets being under 500 at this particular point in the season. Now, we're going to welcome in a guy who spends a lot of time around the Mets. He's done a fabulous job on television. He is a television superstar, for what it is worth. And I love his analysis on the postgame. I thought he and TZ were fantastic the other night. I mean, they're always fantastic, but especially fantastic uh, after the Yankee Met first game. And Jerry Blevins has Met podcast. That's a why he's all over the place. So welcome back to New York, New York. Uh, how are you, sir? How's life treating you? I'm good, JJ. Thanks for the intro. You kind of have
0: to say that because you see me in person uh, at the S&Y Studios on the regular, but I do
2: appreciate it, man. It's good. Well, listen, it's partially being polite, but I, I give you truth here, man. I tell it like I see it. If I thought it was a, an average show, I-, I probably wouldn't say anything. So I, <laughs> I got to throw the accolades and the praise your way and Gary Apple's way and the whole crew. Uh, but Jerry, listen, so far this year... This is not what anybody envisioned with this Mets team. The Mets won 100 games a year ago. Uh, Aside from the last week of the regular season, they were a joy to watch. They played the game the right way. They were fundamentally sound. They had quality starting pitching. I mean, every angle and every element of this team outside of Francisco Alvarez, who has surprised and has played really well, It has regressed from where we were a year ago. So, out of any of the elements, 2022 to 2023, where specifically to you has it been like the most eye-opening and alarming drop-off from what we've seen from the Mets so far this year? Uh, I mean, you've
0: you've kind of nailed it. I, I think it's hard to pinpoint just one because, I mean, the backbone, the whole reason why they consider themselves. Real true contenders, and I still think they are. I still think they could right the ship and you know get into the dance. You can do whatever. Is is the rotation anchored by Max Scherzer and Verlander, who haven't put it together together for a, for any significant stretch? They're still in limbo. So the the rotation's been in flux. They've had some underperformances on some guys they thought would take a step forward. Uh, Kodai Senga has been a revelation. He's been great. I think he's all star caliber if he can do it consistently. Um, But to me, it's been the inconsistency of the lineup. They haven't been able to sustain run support outside of, you know, Pete Alonso has been elite power production and Francisco Lindor is underperformed except for in the clutch and driving in runs. But to me, the biggest, it's the inconsistency in the lineup. I think that's been their downfall. They haven't been able to score runs consistently. They haven't been able to bail each other out. Um, But just in general, it's been uh, a pretty strangely underperforming in every aspect kind of season for the Mets.
2: I think that's totally fair with the lineup. And you look at the names there, Jerry. They have good players up and down this lineup. Brandon Nimmo's a good player. Pete Alonzo's a good player. Francisco Lindor is a good player. McNeil, my favorite Met on the team, tremendous player. But like up and down the lineup, much like the pitching staff, who is the guy right now outperforming what they did a year ago? And you want to tell me some of these guys had career years like McNeil, for example? Okay, that, that's fine. But it, it feels like he's given you a very empty 270. Morte has been better as of late, but nowhere close to the all-star performance that he gave you a year ago. If there's one guy you would look at in the lineup and say, all right, second half, this team is going to turn it around. This guy really needs to get it to another level and really needs to hit another gear. It, it's obviously not one guy, Jerry. But if there's one you would look at and say, yeah, he's got to be that dude to kind of jumpstart him, who would it be? Yeah, I, I,
0: think, I think it's Jeff McNeil. And I think it's because he's so dynamic. You see what Luis Rice da- is doing in Miami. Jeff McNeil outdid him last year for the MLB uh, League Average. He won the batting title for MLB. Right now, Luis Luis Ariza is a step uh, head and shoulders above everything. And Jeff McNeil, like you said, it feels like an empty 270 that he's batting because the power production isn't there. So you you got to bat 300 in order to really produce with what he does skill set-wise. Um, and I think he's still capable of it. His bat to ball skills are are second to only Arise, and that's arguable just because we've seen what Jeff McNeil's capable of doing. Um, but I think his spark plug, especially where he hits in the order, the back half of the order, if he can start sparking some stuff, um,
2: you know, in those innings to lead to the guys at the top, I think that's the key. So many guys last year played out of their minds. Bullpen now. And that's your specialty. That's your, that's your forte. You know a thing or two about coming in and pitching those big innings and getting those big outs. It, it seems like, Jerry, you didn't feel the absence of Edwin Diaz immediately when this season started because of the brilliant job that David Robertson was doing. But I feel like over the last couple of weeks, you feel it now from a standpoint of, all right, Now, all of a sudden, Robertson, instead of going in the eighth inning, he's in the ninth inning. Adovino, who you kind of had slotted in those seventh inning roles, and he hasn't been as good this year, he's now in the eighth inning. Or the other day, he's pitching against Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Um, Is it now to a point with the Mets where you're really feeling the absolute, we we know Diaz is one of, if not the best reliever in all baseball, but you see guys step up, bullpens are very much year to year. But has it become like that much more obvious to you over the last like two or three weeks where it's like, man, the Mets are an arm short in that bullpen. They're missing one of the best in baseball.
0: Yeah, I think it, you you nailed this the, the flow of the season, JJ. You've been spot on with like the, the feel of the Mets. At the beginning of the year, when Edwin Diaz got hurt in spring training, it was like heartbreaking because he was the shutdown guy. It was arguably him and uh, Class A with, the, with Cleveland. And Class A's kind of been all right. But you see Edwin Diaz's success. He had it in the WBC when he went down. Oh, man, it was like, what are these guys going to do? But they didn't skip a beat because David Robertson was incredible. And he's been great all year long. He's been he's been amazing. Adovino's taken a step back. He's been really inconsistent. He, like his slider, his bread and butter, he hasn't been able to find that consistent release point. And so those guys like um, Drew Smith, who's ready to take a step up, but he's been kind of inconsistent. They've really felt that because they've been in some close games where with Edwin Diaz, you have the likelihood of those higher leverage guys pitching in the seventh, sixth, even to be able to gap the lack of starting pitching depth that they've been going. They've really, really missed him for the last probably month, and they're going to miss him. So I think uh, when the trade deadline comes around, I think they're already kicking the tires on some guys I would love to see them get a a Roldis Chapman, to be honest. They need another lefty. That'd be fun, Um, Jerry.
2: That'd be entertaining. Yeah, Chapman
0: is a guy that's done it in New York. He's a a short-term rental, so you're not going to sacrifice the big future because you you have to give up a lot to get him. Uh, I think he's the one of, if not the only guy on the market that could really help stabilize the back end of this bullpen.
2: Chapman, New York, wearing a Met uniform. You know I love storylines. You know I love drama. So get get your popcorn ready as far as that goes. You mentioned adding a guy like that. Maybe it's another guy or two with the deadline. But isn't it fair to say that this bullpen will look a lot better if they can have starting pitchers like Scherzer the other night? Now, I'm not saying he's going to go eight innings every time out. But having that starter go and give you seven and go deeper in the ballgames, I almost feel like this Met bullpen became super compromised because of the lack of length that in many instances they were getting from their starters, I feel like getting some more length out of starting pitchers, Jerry in general is going to make the bullpen look a lot better it's always you know it's it's that that team
0: mentality, but you you nailed it because it's it's the starting pitching that has exposed the bullpen a little bit because the offense isn't producing enough blowouts or enough five-run victories or four-run victories where you can throw those lesser guys with some more security so when it's a ball game in those middle innings and the pitchers only going five or six you got to bring out the big guns the the high leverage guys early and often because the the wins have become so infrequent and that you have to have those guys in every game and they got taxed uh especially with robertson and adovino being on the older side they're being exposed because they can't bounce back quite as much and so you're putting those guys in games that you shouldn't have to at that point bring out you know an adovino in the seventh or you know you had he's had a good year but uh jeff brigham's pitching in a tie game in the eighth inning like these aren't things that uh, a team with the highest payroll and true World Series aspirations shouldn't be doing because they are missing a huge arm in the back of the bullpen. And so the the starting pitching depth drained them in the beginning, not getting length, and now you're seeing some of that ripple effect of, of having to use those guys so often.
2: You know this. They've been very sloppy this year. Very, very sloppy as a team. Last year, Jerry, they were crisp. They were smooth. They were playing this great band of baseball. Same manager, for the most part, same team, right? Like, aside from Alvarez, who's done everything you could hope for. He's handled the pitching staff well. He's hit bombs. Jerry, I make the argument he's made a legitimate case to be an all-star when you consider the lack of quality catches there are in the National League and in baseball, for that matter. He's not your problem. But, like, the sloppiness that we've seen from the Mets, uh, to me, the manager gets all the credit. He gets all the blame. That's just how, that's how it works. So obviously, it's his team. It's his show. But how do you explain that to me?
0: Uh, it's tough. I, I, I used last year. They were
2: like so crisp on everything.
0: They were doing extra stuff. I remember there was a, a weird play where where JD Davis took a bag when they were uh, going to review a, a, a tag early. Like they were not only like just crisp. They were doing extra stuff fundamentally that were winning the ball games in certain instances. And they've been sloppy this year. You know, outside of player performance, the the base running errors, the defensive miscues, um, they they got an earful from their manager. it's been probably ten days, and they played better. And it they took some pressure off of Lindor. I think he's already looking better at the plate and relaxed defensively. Um you got to put it on on the coaching staff because they're the only, you know, the only... It's always, as a former player, it's always the player's fault. But if you're going to have uh, a team element, I mean, the manager's got to face it. And I think Buck Showalter does a great job of deflecting praise and soaking in blame. So uh, if you're going to go talk to somebody about it, you can't really point any other fingers besides Showalter. But I, do, I still think that, this team can put it together. Whereas in 2021, the underperformance is everywhere. It felt dysfunctional. Here, I think there was some hangover from the the end of the season. They won 101 games. It was an amazing season. Like that doesn't ever happen, really. It's so Im- impressive to do. But I think there was like, oh, we'll just get it together again. It's the same group, like you said. But every single season is a brand new team, brand new ball game. I don't care who's returning. You have to establish yourself. By playing good baseball, and they didn't do that, and I think they put some urgency under themselves recently, uh, and I think they they haven't had the the wins and that show you that they've been playing better. But I think there's those are going to start to build, uh, and they they better start building them soon because uh, I think they started to play crisper. I think their superstars are starting to play better. I think their the rotation is coming together with Scherzer and Verlander. Um, to me, Francisco Alvarez is a superstar. I think Kodai Singa has superstar abilities. Uh, it's exciting to see the future while also looking at the present in the Mets, but they, they do have to put
2: it together. That hangover you mentioned, it's real. And I think we've seen that with the Mets and it's probably hurt them for six to eight weeks of this year. The problem is, Jerry, and I don't want to channel my inner salicata right now, but with the way the Atlanta Braves are playing, it looks like both divisions, respectively, in New York City are done because the Braves are legit. They're usually a second-half team. They've been on fire. They're amazing. The Rays are a terrific team in their own right. They're going to win the division, I think, in the AL East, probably going away. But the problem I have in the National League, Jerry, I kind of thought it was a top-heavy National League at the beginning of the year. Where I said, all right, it's going to be Atlanta. It's going to be the Dodgers. It's going to be the Padres and the Mets. Like, these are the four teams. Miami is a lot better than I thought. San Francisco is a lot better than I thought. The Padres still haven't hit their stride. The Phillies were playing better, but they still, in many ways, haven't hit their stride. Like, you look at that wildcard race. Yes, the Mets can play better. Yes, I think they're going to make some noise here in the second half of the year. But getting one of those six playoff spots, which kind of seemed like a formality, at the beginning of the year, Jerry, I think it's anything but with this improved National League. I, I couldn't agree. And you forgot the, the
0: Diamondbacks who are on oh, top there's, of there, the NL West. I bet them
2: as an over. So that was a Freudian Good for slip, you. baby. Good I'm for I want to see
0: it. To me, them. they're the surprise of uh, of baseball because um, I, I didn't see it coming. I think you're right, though. I think the Braves, hands down, have the NL East. I think that's a wrap. Hey, you know, baseball is still baseball. So things can happen, but they've been playing shorthanded. They lost their ace and Max Fried. Kyle Wright's been out the whole year. They they had uh just underperformances there, but they're still in stride. Michael Harris, the second, took a major step back offensively, even though he showed up in the the Mets series, which is pretty typical of the Braves playing the Mets. Um they're a better ball club, and they have been. Uh but the hangover is real. This is a, a team from you see it in the World Series. They people talk about the hangover is isn't a, a thing, it's just it's BS. But these guys, you 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 fall back to your like we'll be fine kind of laurels and you you don't you forget that like you have to reestablish yourself every year. You're a new ball player, you're a new team, come in, establish the same thing you did the year before because they were, they were hungry. And now all of a sudden they're they're a little bit complacent. And I think it it took itself from spring training on with the WBC. They had so many guys this Mets team that were spread out and having fun and playing good quality baseball. I love the WBC, but they didn't, they weren't able to come together as a team with these new rules and the, the pitch clock and all that. They didn't find it. And I think they're just now finding their stride and I think it'll get better from here on out. But I think it's too late for the division because the Braves are, are as sound as it gets. Um, but I do think they can put together a really good run. And we saw with the Phillies, what they were capable of doing last year by making it to the World Series, I think the Mets are, are they're the same team as they were last year because it was it was Scherzer and DeGrom are your backbone for for succeeding in the playoffs. I think it's I think it's Scherzer and Verlander who I, I love as a one two punch still, even though they have it put together. I think it, they're capable of doing.
2: I think that's the hope. The Phillies are going to be that example, Jerry, for a lot of teams now moving forward. You get in and you're playing your best baseball. Hey, all of a sudden you could get hot and find your way to the World Series. Mets make the playoffs, and there are a lot of variables in play. Obviously, they need a lot to change in a big way if they're going to turn this season around. The biggest key to that, in your opinion,
0: that's starting pitching. Yeah, like it's hands down. It's because no matter what, and we saw it last night with what Framber Valdez did against the Mets. Uh, He's he was incredible. Good pitching beats good hitting every single time. Like if you can pitch you're you're going to succeed and Verlander and Scherzer are two of the best of our generation if not the two best you got Kershaw you got Grinke their arguments but these guys are are the best to ever do it and if they can put it together they can win any series that's the that's the experiment that Billy Epler and the front office is doing while they're building their farm system in their future they're banking on the ability to have two of the best starting pitchers beat you Every time they face you in the playoffs, but now they're at such a back against the wall that they actually have to facing a a chance of them not being in the playoffs. So the experiment is you have the two best pitchers in the game hot at the right time, and you can
2: win a world series that way. So we'll see. Final one, Jerry, you spent time in Oakland. It was humming when you were in Oakland, you guys were a quality team. You're making the playoffs. I know it was a small group of fans, but they would get loud there. You guys had had some uh, 2012, 2013. Those A's teams were really, really good. Has it been really tough to watch what's transpired there where, you know, you have the reverse boycott, you have fans really expressing their frustrations in ownership? Somebody played for that organization. Talk me through what it's been like watching this 2023 season where, listen, it's been really ugly from an Oakland standpoint.
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard for me to watch. I, I love the Oakland A's and the fan base. Um, when I made it to the big leagues in 07, we were terrible for a long time, but the fans showed up. Um, and then when we put it together in 12 and 13, it was an incredible, incredible run and atmosphere. Uh, this might hurt you a little bit, JJ, but that, that year we got beat by Verlander and Scherzer in 12 and 13, but that 2012 year, I think if we get by Scherzer, who beat us in Game Five, um, if we get by him there, I think we win the World Series. But Ah, uh, you said, would have beat the
2: Yankees. Uh, maybe yeah, Judy doesn't fracture his ankle, but that Yankee
0: team was gettable, Jerry. I agree. Verlander got asked a question at the end of the Yankee series, uh, like, "What was it like playing in Yankee Stadium?" And he goes, "This is nothing. This was like a home game in Yankee Stadium after what we went through at the Coliseum because it's different there. I mean that that big bowl they had like." 45,000 people if we got past that, that was a five game series. then if we got past them they were gonna open up that top ring, uh, pull all the uh, Hall of Fame tarps off and it would have been 60,000 strong like a Raiders game. Um, but I, I love the Oakland fans man. It, they were there when we were bad. They could see the future. they had we always had building blocks uh, that you could see forward. We always had guys in the in the wings. Um, that were coming up to be that next generation of young superstars coming forward. And now to see them, you know, it's weird because in 2007, when I got up in September, there was renderings of a new stadium that they were putting together that we were going to be moving into in 2010. Like, this has always been the talk. Um, I was like, oh, we're going to be there in 2010. I hope I'm still around. Well, we're in 2023 now. Um, and they're still talking about moves and all that, but it seems pretty much inevitable that they will be in Las Vegas and my heart's broken because there are real sports fans there. Um, and they're getting it taken away from them for nothing of their own fault. They show up even when we were bad and we had some exciting young players, the fans showed up for us when they were, they had something to watch this year. They've been stripped of it. They raised the prices on everything so they didn't come so the reverse boycott is not just because you put together a, a team that's supposed to lose but but it's because you made the fan experience bad so it does break my heart for them um they don't deserve it i'll forever love oakland um, they were so good to me i still have some really close friends that are are a part of that because it was it was a fun time to be around um, I have two loves in my heart. From a baseball standpoint, about my career, it's New York. I spent a good chunk of four years, my prime. My son was born in New York. It's it's my adulthood, but like becoming an adult, that was Oakland for me. I spent seven years there, and they were good to me uh, beyond what I deserve. So I, I love them, and I'm sorry for what they're
2: going through. Jerry Blevins does great work on SY, Met Pod. You want to check that out. And by the way, did we like the yellow? Oakland jersey the best, the green one that the yellow one to me just, and this before my time, obviously, Jerry, but it makes me think Reggie Jackson, the Blue, like those those uniforms pop. I think they're the best uniforms <laughs> in baseball,
0: dude. Best uniforms in baseball. Um when I first came up, they were they had the black alternate jerseys, but then they changed to the gold. They had that bright yellow, like the awesome yellow. Those are my favorite. They don't have those anymore. They have the Kelly Greens, and I think they are special even on the road they have the white numbers on them but they look good on the gray uniforms again i agree with you the best uniforms in baseball that green and gold color you don't see it everywhere it's not like you know super cut i love the yankees i love the cardinals you know they have great uniforms but
2: this screams out like sports to me it's classic and it pops at the same time keep up the good work uh, i'll see you in the studio soon and uh I got to get you to a laundry list uh, of pizza recommendations that you haven't hit yet. I mean, now you're like a native New Yorker, so you know them all, but I can, please,
3: I can please add a few. Do. I'm,
0: a, I'm up for a travel as well. I think right now the, the number one rank for me, I love Lombardi's in like the Little Italy district, but I think uh,
2: John's a Bleecker is my number one right now. I can understand that. I, I think it's within the top three for me. We might have to get you to Island, out Brooklyn and Apple expand special, those please horizons please. a little bit. I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right, Terry, I'll talk soon, man. Later. All right, thanks, JJ. Jerry Blevins is outstanding, by the way. I mean, listen, we only have outstanding guests on this podcast, of course. But there are certain guys that do just a terrific job of breaking down what a pitcher is going through, pitch selection, that reliever mentality. Like, he's been a great addition on TV. So, fun to have him here for a couple of minutes. All right. Before we get to calls, Nick Draftbus and I did this on the local angle for FanDuel TV, it was so easy. It was so freaking easy. Like Frederick Weiss taking the cake. That's a name that will haunt me forever. And thinking about the possibility of getting Ron Artest, the end of the Ewing, Sprewell, Houston Knicks, I'm like, okay, they have the next generation. They have the New York kid. They take Frederick Weiss. He never plays a game and it gets posterized by Vince Carter in the Olympics. That's his lasting legacy. It's impossible to top that. But the Knicks have had some doozies. They took Neil Aquino over Donovan Mitchell. Yikes. They took Kevin Knox over Michael Porter Jr. and SGA. And I'm not going to kill him on SGA, but of course they go with the wrong Kentucky guy. And then Michael Porter Jr. was the obvious pick. They stunk. He had upside. He had potential. Like It was the perfect pick for a rebuilding team to make. And the Knicks go, oh, we're going to take the guy who we think can hit a ton of threes, even though he didn't hit any threes and was completely useless coming off the bench. So Kevin Knox, who is the summer league hero, will forever be on my bust list. Jordan Hill's going to be there because he was the pick after Steph Curry. He never had a chance. And then Michael Sweetney. Now, again, Michael Sweetney, this is typical Knicks. 2003 loaded draft at the top. LeBron, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, all these guys in the Knicks end up with Michael Sweetney. So, yeah, the bus are easy. Top five Nick draft picks since 2000. You know, I went through this. And there were a couple that stand out that are obvious. But trying to find a list was difficult. It was difficult. Like, there's not one guy that you say, oh, hands down, he's the choice. It's legitimately debatable. I would say for any of these guys since 2000, the player who was the best for an individual year, without question, Kristaps Porzingis. And I know how ugly it ended for Christophs Porzingis, and I understand the frustration of what the last couple of years of Porzingis' tenure meant to the New York Knicks. But this guy was an All Star, put up monster numbers. Like it, there were moments where Porzingis absolutely wowed you. So for me, I'd probably put him number one on the list, and then I would put David Lee. Number two on the list. And I know David Lee played on some bad teams and put up empty statistics, but again, I'm going to reward a guy who is a first round pick for me that ends up being an all star. I'm going to reward that. Then, after those two, you're looking at who? RJ Barrett. He's on the list. There's no doubt he's on the list. Danilo Gallinari. Now, if we're talking about guys that had success in the NBA after leaving the Knicks, Trevor Ariza would be on that list because Trevor Ariza had a really good career after leaving the Knickerbockers. Lakers won a title, magic, like bounced around, had success in the league. But the Knicks, eh, not so much. Chandler was a decent pick, would not put him in my top five. Tim away, not put him in my top five. You put Mitchell Robinson in the top five? Lately, and I got some tweets on this, it's fair to say they've drafted better over the last couple of years. Quickly, Robinson, you even want to tell me top and even though Halliburton would have been the better pick. We're kidding. Barrett, and on and on we go. So, Stefan, I-, I would say for me, One, two top picks that the Knicks have made since 2000. I I would go Porzingis, Lee, and then that third pick, I would probably put Barrett, dude. I'd probably go Barrett over the likes of Shumpert or Galinari, for me at least. From a Knicks perspective, that's what I would do. Um, If you're going to top three picks, who are you putting on this list for the Knicks since 2000?
1: Okay, so you said. David Lee and Porzingis at one and two. Yeah, so now, what? three, I'm gonna give you some guys that it, I, I'd probably have to go with Shump at three. You would go Shump over Barrett. Interesting. I would... Uh, see, see Shump, because maybe you probably would have to put Barrett, because Barrett is a 20-a-night guy.
2: Yeah, I would go Barrett there. But, but it's to, be, four to be fair, years. I'd put him three. It's
1: four years. Um... <sighs> The only other guy that would be close to that um, would be Tim Hardaway Jr. Well, he's also
2: a guy, to me, it felt like he had more success away from the Knickerbockers than he did with the Knickerbockers. And maybe, you know what it is, Steph, with a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr., he played out so many crap Knick teams and yeah. like, I just, like, don't want to even give them any credit where it's like, dude, they brought this guy back, they gave him all this money, and then they shipped his ass out. They couldn't wait to ship his ass out a year or two after the fact. You know
1: what I mean, dude? Yeah, yeah. It, it's tough. It's tough. Um, Some wild card guys that I'm going to throw out there. Nate. I think Nate is Nate is amazing. I think Nate is, like, a very honorable mention or a close I agree. in my five. I
2: agree. And I should have mentioned um, him in running through guys. And it's weird because Nate Robinson – did not get drafted by the Knicks, but ended up finding his way to the Knicks. But I'll still put him in there. I'm, I'm okay with that as a first I round.
1: like, I like, I like Nate. Um, oof, it's rough. So, all right, so we're going David Lee, Kerstaff, Porzingis, R.J. Barrett, Shumpert, and we'll probably have to leave with Mitch. Mitch made it to a second contract. We have to give... The Knicks are notorious for not like I think guys was to a fr- a second yeah. contract. I think RJ's the first that. guy since Charlie Ward, who's got the first first round pick since Charlie Ward in the 90s, who's uh made it to a second uh contract as a first round draft pick. So yeah, we kinda gotta kinda gotta give it to those five. I think those five were rounded out, and I'm throwing Nate in as an honorable mention for me.
2: I-, I like the honorable mention of Nate Robinson. Not putting quickly there,
1: going with Mitch over quickly. Yes, because Mitch Mitch made it to a second contract. He got his extension. He's, he's I, I made think it. that's
2: a good barometer for, for judging yeah. this too. And listen, sometimes it ends up being about situation. Like Danilo Gallinari, for example, would right. have been a guy that probably would have gotten a second contract with the Knicks. Yeah, if they didn't trade him for Carmelo Anthony, like you he know, would have been a second contract guy.
1: I, I, you might have to use. You might have to use Gallo. He's a big trade chip that helps you go get mellow. So he he kind of has to matter a little. See, bit. that's
2: a guy I'm putting in my top five because his skill at, set was there. The, the biggest issue with Gallinari when he was a Nick again. How many times do we say this about New York athletes? Durability. Like y- yeah. you wondered if Dylan Allo, Danilo Gallinari was going to be able to stay on the court. Yeah. And that's something he figured out later in his career. And now, of course, he's having problems with it yet again.
1: Yep. Uh, And he's been traded again (laughs) as of last night. You want to talk about a guy who's
2: who's ridden that merry-go-round, around the NBA. Holy moly, dude. Holy moly. So I'm going to go for mine. Porzingis, Lee, Barrett, those three. And then I'm going to round it out going, hmm, Gallinari,
1: Shumpert. Okay. I think my I'm I'm adding strong. Maybe there. I'm
2: maybe I'm not giving Mitch enough respect here. I, I just think at the peak I, the of their prowess,
1: those guys were better players, in my opinion. I think as a second round pick, for you to make it to your second contract and remain the starting center on a team says a lot. And there's a big reason why we won our first Well, wouldn't series have won a playoff series last year without, without him. Without you're Mitch. not wrong so, about that. You know, I got I kinda gotta give Mitch the edge over quickly. Uh, yeah. So mine would be, I, mine's is similar. My top three is the same. I'm going to go. Art Yeah. Uh, Przingis, David Lee, RJ Shumpert. And I'm going to go Mitch and honorable mention with, with Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson's my, my, my wild card. I'm going to throw. I, can I'm understand show life, I, met, Nate I met
2: Nate Robinson. You want to talk about a great guy? Yeah, I spent like 45 minutes in the SMY green room one day with him. And we were just shooting it. Steph. You would have loved him, dude. Yeah, great, he, great guy. He, he, he just great seems great like guy. he has
1: that personality. And I, I I believe it.
2: We got to get him on the podcast. I wish I had you his know, number I'd text him. But I don't have his. It, that was one of the great mistakes I've made. You know, like there are certain times you meet someone and it's like, yeah. man, I should have gotten their number. He's one of those guys, by the way. I should have gotten his number.
1: We'll yeah. figure out a way. We'll, we're going to try to get Nate before the summer's out. That That's something we're going to work on. Ah, I like the sound that. of that. Let's, like let's work on that. that. Let's work on that. some
2: phone with Nate. Talk some shop. Talk some ball. All right, voicemail time. Nine one seven three eight two one one five one. Let's have some fun with this. Steph, take it away,
4: my man Johnny J. Will from Brooklyn here to tell you the Knicks' best draft pick was David
2: Lee. That's it. That's a fact. I don't hate that take. David Lee had monster years in the mid two thousands. He got paid. He made an All Star team. It was one of the few shining lights in the debacle that was the Isaiah Thomas regime. David Lee and Nate Robinson. When, to be honest, the main draw at Madison Square Garden in the mid-2000s, and Knicks fans aren't going to want to hear this, it was to see Kobe, and it was to see LeBron, and it was to see whoever was going to go off against the Knicks. Like, that ended up being the, the, the marquee game of the year. Which is really sad and pathetic when you think about it. Because... You went from like the 90s and the early 2000s to every game, every... Didn't matter if the Knicks were playing Charlotte or if they were playing the Lakers or they were playing the Bulls. It was going to be a rocking, raucous, like insane environment where the focus was, hey, the Knicks and what they're doing. Then it kind of became, oh, the Knicks is secondary. They're a joke. We hate to see Kobe. We hate to see LeBron. So that era of Knick basketball bothers me. If you're asking me, though, point blank, who's a better player, For the Knicks, at the best, Lee or Porzingis, to me, Porzingis was better. Even though he was very raw and, like, in the early stages of his career, like, there was just more of a feel of dominance from him when he was cooking. Got hurt. All bad blood would fill. All bad blood with the organization. And his body giving out turned on him quickly. Very curious to see what the career renaissance looks for him in Boston with Tatum, with Brown, on a team that's looking to win a championship. Because he put up a lot of really good numbers a season ago with Washington. Empty statistics? Or is he going to be that, like, missing link and ingredient for them to try to get themselves over the top? It's a fascinating career arc for Przingis. But don't ignore the dominance that he brought to the table in the Knickerbocker uniform at times. Because it was there. To the point where you fantasize about Porzingis doing what Jokic was able to do in Denver. His problem, he wasn't as good. You know, that was my first takeaway ever watching Jokic. I'll never forget this game. I think Porzingis went up against him. Jokic kind of gave it to him good. I'm like, this guy can play. Is this guy better than Porzingis? I remember saying that watching him. Now we know. Yes, he is better. And he actually ends up being the best basketball player in the world at this point in time. So it's funny how that can, like, work out and come full circle. And that's exactly what happened. You're like, wow, Jokic just got better and better and better. And Porzingis, you wanted that career arc, and you never got that career arc from a Nick perspective. So what if? Major what if? Alright, who's next?
5: Hey JJ Charlie from Elmer's calling in. So Yankees are down ten nothing. Then I gotta sweep the Mariners. Uh but I'm not calling about that. I'm calling about the the Yankee owner, Hal Steinberger, appeared on an interview with Michael K on his radio show. And that was an aggravating interview to listen. In. And bottom line is Hal doesn't get it. He's very clueless with this own saying. Because like this team is underachieving, underperforming from all throughout the roster, except for Cole and Judge, uh like his injuries, really derailed his team, but not to it cannot be to the extent and have Billy McKinney and Jake Bowers basically the the carrying the offense, that is unsustainable. But how common is just so ridiculous like he is like Boone is a good manager. Chashman is a good GM and why the fans are like, like angry, like at the, at, at us, uh, like third week of June. Like he just don't get it. We are angry and frustrated with the product. Basically, you allow the general manager to have a no, have a no left fielder come into the season and produce an injury prone, uh, constructive roster. With basically, uh, no, less, no, less than, no, less than, less or fewer than left handed bats or none. And you're basically in a situation of you're closer to last place than actually first place and barely hanging on to the playoff spot. Like, we want accountability. Like, where is the accountability? Like, stop looking at the, uh, the computer sheets and papers. Look at the product. Watch the game, like the shit in building is sinking. Like Hal doesn't get it; he just don't get it, and it is so frustrating to listen. And he doesn't recognize what is going on. Like, stop being like married to like Cashman, one of the family. He's just employee. Same thing with Boom. I um, mean, the idiot. Like, we as a fan recognize what is going on with this team. Like, get rid of Donaldson. Get rid of his ass off. He's getting pulled off field in one twenty-nine. Get his ass out of here. Those are the kind of things. Show some accountability. Have some responsibility. That's where this team, this organization doesn't have it. And Hal, you're at the forefront.
2: Recognize it. See it. That's all. Charlie? I want to give this gentleman credit. It was not my original idea. And listen, when it's not my original idea, I like to give credit where credit is due. Um, Whoever tweeted this to me yesterday, and I don't know the guy's name. If you check my Twitter page, you probably can find it. I'm not doing it right now. It's just, it's too much work. But they compared Hal Steinbrenner to Kendall Roy. and For those of you who are fans of the outstanding television show, Succession, you're going to know exactly what I mean and what exactly this gentleman is referring to as far as the comp. It really is spot on where the father is this titan. He is this larger-than-life figure. He had his faults. He wasn't perfect, but he was this Titan. Hal Steinbrenner is not his father. And nobody is saying that Hal has to be George 2.0, but the leadership acumen, the feel for the city, the fan base, the hunger that there is for a franchise that has great tradition, the best tradition. At any team in baseball. The best tradition, quite frankly, in any team in all professional sports, to basically be as aloof, out of touch, and tone deaf, like he was on Michael's show the other day, that's not sitting well with the fan base. There's not one Yankee fan that heard that interview with Hal Steinbrenner and said, you know what? I feel better, Hal. We feel like you guys... Got to figure it figured out. Simple leadership. And I'm not going to go and give you the laundry list of Kendall Roy, Hal Steinbrenner comparisons. If you're a Succession fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're not, you're missing out because Succession is a wonderful, wonderful show. But coolest leadership at the top. Enabling a GM that has lost his touch, a GM that has lost his way to build a team that, simply put, is flawed, is injury-prone, And is not as good as advertised. And team that's dead in the water for the American League East. And forget about the AL East. It's about the playoffs. We all understand that. But come playoff time, this is the team that's going to be the one to solve the American League riddle and is going to get back to the World Series, is going to win the World Series? Yeah. Please. Save the tape, Stephon. I'd love to be wrong, but please. Save the tape. All right, let's take one more.
4: JJ, it's still from Bedford. Uh, just another series loss for the Mets. Go down 10 to 8 to the Strohs. And, it, you know, the thing is about this Mets team that you have to realize at a certain point, it is a bad baseball team. They make terrible base running mistakes every game. They strike out with, you know, today in the first inning, uh, they had, you know, base loaded nobody out. Alonzo hits a double play. They strike out with runners at third all the time. I mean, they don't do things fundamentally well at all this year. It's the opposite of last year. And, uh, you know, the the funniest part also is that they come into all these series. The Yankees had lost two out of three of the Red Sox. Mets split. The Cardinals had lost God knows how many games in a row and how many series in a row. They take two out of three from the Mets. The Astros coming off getting swept by the Reds over the weekend. They take two out of three. I mean, they're not coming in and facing teams that are like hot and, and, and having to deal with a tough schedule. I mean, they're coming in with playing teams that have been playing bad baseball and they're still losing every series. I mean, at a certain point, uh, yeah, if you're Effler, I, though God knows I don't want Epler making my big time decisions right now. I I just want to wait for David Stearns to come in this offseason, but you really need to pivot to being a seller. I mean, it's not a good team. Uh, they don't play good baseball. They, They also make a ton of errors this year. Last year they, you know, they fielded so well. This year, I mean, whether it's throwing errors, uh, I mean, it is just a debacle from top to bottom. And, you know, Epler kept talking about it's a small sample size. Well, you know what? We're almost at July 4th. It's not a small sample size anymore. It's a bad team. Sell now. Get ahead of the market. Later, JJ.
2: Phil, here's my counter. Who are you selling? From a lineup perspective, everybody's here to stay. Alonzo is here to stay. Lindor is here to stay. They just locked up Brandon Nimmo and gave him $160 million in the offseason. They just paid Jeff McNeil a good chunk of money and extended him. Marte's under contract. Uh, you're trading Cannon? Nobody wants Cannon. Trading Escobar? Whoopty dill They're not going to trade Scherzer and Verlander. They're not going to do it. So who are you trading? Robertson, I mean, I, I, that's the only guy I can think of. They're not going to sell, and as far as like seismic changes within the organization, I think most Mets fans don't trust Billy Eppler to go and make those trades. Now, you want to get on Billy Epler for not building depth in the bullpen? Be my guest. You could kill him for it. You want to. Get on him for the Quintana signing, which has been a total flop so far. Be my guest. You have every right to do it. Keeping the same lineup that you had a year ago, he thought it was very successful. Clearly, that has not been the case for a good chunk of this year. Swinging the bat's much better, but still, you want to get on him for that? Fine. Over the head. The owner was the guy instrumental, not Billy Epler, in signing Scherzer and Verlander. Those guys have not delivered in any way imaginable what you thought they would three months into the year. Not going to fault that part on that. And when it comes to the lack of overall depth within this organization from a farm system standpoint, when they have to go and search for answers, that's a problem that predates Billy Eppler. To be fair, that's a Sandy problem. That's a Brody problem. That was an organizational problem. And, and, and I think what Cohen tried to do here is he said, look, it's going to take us a couple of years to build up our farm system. It just is. We didn't have the right mentality. We didn't have the right people in place. Like, this was just, it was ass backwards. But in the meantime, here's what we're going to do. We have some veterans on his team, Alonzo, McNeil, at the time, DeGrom, and we're going to add to that. Because I have money and I could spend a crazy amount of money. And if we got to eat contracts, we can eat contracts. I, I can do it. Last year worked. This year, it has not. I think Cohen is still thinking bigger picture about how to build a baseball team, which is building from within. But his sort of jumpstart, quick fix, spend money. Big veteran pitchers, this is my path to a championship. Well, right now, it's looking like it's going to be 0 for 2. 2022 ended in a bit of disappointment in the postseason. And Jared Bovin said it on this pod, and I agree with him. The Mets have not gotten over that hangover from what happened in Atlanta and against the Padres in the playoffs. Even though there are some changes on the roster, you still can see it. That hangover is there. And do you expect much this weekend in Philadelphia? They've played the Phillies well. They swept them earlier this year. The Phillies are playing better baseball. Do you ask me point blank, who whose roster am I more confident in right now? Right now, the Phillies, who even when to are booting balls all over the place, or the Mets. The Phillies are a couple games over five hundred. Mets are under five hundred by six games. Sango Walker on Friday. That is a lovely Apple TV broadcast. Yikes. Good thing I will be uh, in Ocean City for that one. Four o'clock, it'll be Carrasco Sanchez. And then Sunday, Scherzer Wheeler, which is on paper a very juicy pitching matchup. So, Mets got to start making moves. Otherwise, that seller conversation is just going to intensify and pick up steam. Six under 500. Another bad week or two. Yeah. More calls like the one we just got from Phil and Bedford are going to be a thing on New York, New York leading in the trade deadline. So, hard to believe. Very, very hard to believe. All right, we'll come back, wrap it up, set the stage for the weekend, and we'll see what Jeff Money has in store right after this.
3: This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like...
2: Let's hear it, bro. Friday, I don't know where you're going. Maybe you're doing a London game in baseball. Uh, Maybe you're getting involved with the College World Series. I have no idea. Money, take it away. Let's do it.
4: What up, JJ? Jeff Money with a handicapper. Pick the B for for Friday, the 23rd. You know, I I had had a win the other day with you with the the Boston Red Sox. We'll see if I can give you another one. I'm going to go with a home... Team. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Orioles. They're showing right now minus 105 over the Seattle Mariners. Again, I'm going to go with the Orioles minus the 105. Let's see if you got any uh, baseball plays yourself there. And everyone can always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go.
2: Let's go, Jeff Money. Um, does somebody want to explain to me how the Yankees are minus 130 against Texas tomorrow? As Texas comes to Yankee Stadium, 18 games over 500. Like, how are the Yankees scoring against the Rangers? You know when they fall behind in a game, they're dead to rights. Like, if they're down 4-0 in a game, this game today, listen, Herman was awful and it got out of hand, but, like, they're just completely dead to rights. In case you're wondering, Travelers this week, I mean, how good was McCarthy? He was 10-under par today. Adam Scott was 8-under. Keegan Bradley, who knows that course well, is 8-under. Scheffler. Scheffler is top five in every single one of these tournaments, seven on the par. Uh, Victor Hovland was my pick. That's who I took at my golf pool. Victor Hovland, who's three on the par as we speak. So maybe on Friday he can get himself in this thing. And I was at the Travelers last year. Great tournament. If I wasn't in Ocean City, Maryland this weekend, I absolutely would have been there. Um, before we go. So we played this course today. Eagles landing. Really cool course. On the water. Conditions were not great. I mean, I'm driving the ball. The best I've driven it in my entire life. Like, smoking the ball. And this is golf in a nutshell. I couldn't score. I mean, I think I might have had seven or eight three putts. I'd hit a good drive. I'd push an iron. I'd go long. I'd skull one. It's golf in a nutshell. But my pet peeve for today, and this is where I want to end this little conversation, I don't pretend that I am a good golfer because I am not. I'm terrible. I'm lucky to be, and I'm better now that I'm like a 26 or 27 handicap, and that's with me playing really well over the last couple weeks. So, like, I stink. Play the white tees, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Unless you are legitimately like handicap or less than that, play the white tees because I didn't today. And I might be salty and I might be using that as an excuse for why I didn't get the score that I wanted today. But, like, you know, I'm hitting 440 par fours. I got no prayer again on the green until on a windy day. Elements on the water ain't happening. And this was not my choice. So, tomorrow, I'm in this little two day soiree. You can rest assured, I don't give a rat's ass what these other guys are doing. I ain't playing from the white tees tomorrow. So, I don't care if I'm that guy. They might mock me. I might get a couple of jokes thrown my way. Screw them. I'm playing from the white tees tomorrow. And I'll report back Sunday how it goes on Friday and on Saturday. Great job by Stefan. Hope everybody has an outstanding weekend. We'll be back on Sunday. We'll see if there's any developments as far as the Nick front is concerned as we move closer to NBA free agency and uh, these baseball teams. Oh, boy. On that note, JJ out. Enjoy your weekend. We out. Be good, everybody. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IN-Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one 800 net in West Virginia or call one 800 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Or call one hope ny or text HOPE-NY in New York.
1: There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class, leading passenger space, and clean, thoughtful design, and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the hotels.com app today.